All right, so this passage is, is typically, you'll, you'll hear from a lot of Christians, one of their favorite passages, and, and I would even, um, don't quote me on this, I don't need to like get, off, get out of church and see it on Facebook, like Pastor Michael adds to Scripture that uh, Acts 2, verse 42 through 47 is the church in the Garden of Eden again, but what I'm going to say is, I feel like when you look at this, it's, it's that beautiful. It's like Adam and Eve walking before corruption jumps in. And not that these early Christians were not corrupt and depraved and in need of a Savior, but you get to see this, this um, not distorted view of the church. This is exactly what we are supposed to be doing. This is before the world has come in and told the church how we should be, how we should act, what we should do, how we should think, and, and everything dictating everything that we are supposed to do by people who are not even in here. And it's a beautiful picture that we get. It's wonderful. And as we progress through this, I, I want us to see that, that we are to be in the church. And the main point's going to be for us this morning that our relationship with God involves our relationship with the church. Our relationship with God involves our relationship with the church. Now, something the world has tried to tell us is that, that relationship is greater than religion, and therefore we don't need the church because we are the church. But church, we're not the church by ourselves. We are the church together. When we combine, not necessarily just two or three, but we collectively, it's the gathering of God's people. And, and I'm not even talking about, all right, so now we, we talk about God's people. But I'm not just talking about the capital C church, meaning believers across all time, right? I'm talking about the lowercase c church. So when I say capital C church, I'm referring to believers across all time. But when I say lowercase c, I'm talking about the local expression, the local church played out. So particularly here, we're talking about New Hill Church. And there's plenty of other churches, even Bible-believing churches in and around the area. But I'm talking about us, that we are to be involved in it. And a lot of times we try and separate, you know, church membership is something that pastors have made up to, to get into my pocket. Pa pastors have made it up to, to tell me what I can and can't do. No, Scripture has told us and showed us the significance of the local church for our good and for God's glory. It's a very good thing. And it's not something that we should be afraid of. It should be something that is embraced and celebrated by each and every member. That we get to hold one another accountable, we get to hold our pastors accountable, so that God could be worshipped and glorified in everything that we do. So our relationship with God involves our relationship with the church. One other thing to just talk about this, to illustrate this. Imagine trying to tell me that you wanted to have a deeper and more personal relationship with me. We start hanging out and you're like, love you man, but don't really care for your wife. So if we could like not hang out with her when we hang out, that would be awesome. If you all know anything about me, that relationship, friendship is not going to work out all that well because my wife is, and I are one. We've been bound together. We're in a covenant relationship. She's part of me. And the church is part of God. It's God's bride. It's God's body, right? The, the bride of Christ. You cannot separate the two. And that's a good thing. But it's something that we need to begin to understand is, as the world is telling us that church doesn't matter, our relationship with Christ does, the two cannot be separated. So we should encourage those Christians that are outside of fellowship with the church to get back in it. Because our relationship with God involves our relationship with the church. Three points to drive that home as we look at the early church. They were devoted, they were united, and they all contributed. Three points. Devoted, united, contributed. First point, devoted. So we see all these people 
um, saved. It says, you know, people were added. So those who received his word were baptized. This is verse 41. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people that day. And then in verse 42, we see, and they devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They were devoted to these things. And devotion shows us, just like the, the one passage where your heart is, there your treasure is also, where the treasure is, there your heart is also. I always get those backwards. I'm not dyslexic, but it is something that I, when I try and say something out loud, sometimes it comes out backwards. Maybe I am. But you all are catching my drift. Our passions, right, the things that we're devoted to, will show what we're really uh, aligned with. Okay? So when we aren't devoted to God's Word, when we aren't devoted to fellowship, when we aren't devoted to the, the church gathering, then it's going to show people that we are not indeed devoted to God. That we actually don't really care about Jesus because in the way that we're expressing our relationship with Jesus is contrary to that which His Word says. That we should be devoted to these things. Do we have anybody in here uh, who went on to play college sports? Anybody? Raise your hand. No, we didn't have anybody. Man, trying to like get some people. Did I get a hand over here? No, a little, a little bit. Okay, yeah. Um, and then we probably have a lot of us in here that we, you know, we could have gone pro, but you know, like we just decided to take a, a little bit of a break. Yeah, me, me. Yeah, I could, you know, I definitely could have had a shot at the majors, but you know, I just took a little bit of a break. But when you want to excel and thrive at something like a sport, what do you do? Practice. You're devoting your time, your energy, your efforts, and all of your resources into that. And even parents, to help their kids devote themselves to their sport, they will pay for trainers. They will pay for um, better leagues, right? So that they can get into the AAU baseball, right? So they can travel and play the best of the best because that's going to help them excel. So it requires devotion. And we, the church, don't often look devoted to God anymore because what we need to do is self-evaluate here. Are we, let's talk about individually first, am I devoted to God's Word, the Apostles' teaching? Am I devoted to the fellowship of believers, the, the church? And I would say not just the gathering on Sunday mornings, but the fellowship outside of the church gathering, both formally and informally. Having coffee and just talking about life, and also having coffee and having an intentional Bible study with purpose. Are we devoted to the breaking of bread, which also involves having meals together, but it was communion? And then are we devoted to prayer? And then we can turn after self-evaluating, we can say, is our church devoted to this? Now I'm going to say that New Hill has plenty of room to grow, but we collectively, capital C Church, especially in America, have a ton of room to grow in this area. Are we devoted to these things? Now notice, the first thing, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. You can go back in, in chapter 2, just a little bit earlier, and you see that Peter was so devoted that when he was pointing people to Jesus, he was pointing to them through the Scriptures they knew from the Old Testament. Look, he quotes Joel, the prophet Joel, in verses 17-21. through 21. He goes on in verses 25-28 through 28 to, to quote David from the Psalms, and then later on quotes David again in verses 34 and 35. 
the scriptures were so important and a beautiful thing that they had that we don't anymore. They had the apostles teaching them what God was inspiring them to say. Now we get it fully through the New Testament. We don't have to have anything else. We've got everything we need through the completed um, Word of God. But they had the apostles teaching them, not just the Old Testament, but the New Covenant as the Spirit directed them. So it was something that they got to benefit from, and we get to benefit from now by reading the New Testament. But it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, devotion requires intentionality, that we would be intentionally devoting ourselves. It requires setting aside time. It requires, if you don't get enough sleep or you don't have enough time in your day, that you would lose a little bit of sleep. It would be sacrifice. You would set an alarm half hour earlier than you normally wake up so that you can wake up and you can read God's Word, get into God's Word, maybe listen to the sermon that you missed, maybe listen to another sermon, maybe listen to a podcast that is pointing us back to God's Word. It requires being intentional to fellowship. In a year where we have been isolated, maybe you introverts are like, yeah, I can go and I can live on this island and I don't have to deal with the church anymore because there's this virus that's blocking us and you know, I just don't have to get involved anymore. And as we've seen, even it doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're on, things are changing and they're changing rapidly and we can get back to fellowship. But we have to be intentional. You see, we weren't designed to do life alone and this tells us that. It literally shows us by what the church was doing. It doesn't say half of the 3,000. It literally says 3,000 souls were added that day. And they devoted themselves. They were devoted to these things that we often, or we just a little bit later through the rest of the New Testament, see our commands. That we read God's Word, we study God's Word, we love and delight in God's Word, we fellowship with one another, that we would do life with one another. Now's not the time to continue living isolated. We need fellowship. We were made for it. And we were saved to it. We were saved into a family of other believers who would, who would also unite, not getting in the point to yet, around God's Word. They also devote themselves to the breaking of bread. The Lord's table, right? The Lord's supper. When we draw near, when we see last week as we took communion, that that is a sermon to our eyes. Before anybody speaks, before a pastor gets up and, and talks about communion that morning, we come in and we see the bread and we see the grape juice or wine laid out and we immediately know it's spoken to our eyes as we visualize Jesus' body being broken and His blood being poured out. Communion is a crucial aspect to the gathering. It is very important as we draw near that we remember what Jesus did. And it was important to them that they did it as often as they met. And they devoted themselves to prayers, the prayers. You see, this is an aspect of our life where, you know, we, we talk about maybe in guys, and I know in guys study, but girls study too, maybe you all can relate. Hey, what's something you can work on? We always, us guys, we're too proud, like can't, don't want to think about anything else. We say, I don't read my Bible enough and I don't pray enough. And it's like everybody says that, right? Like everybody. But if we're being honest, the truth is we're not praying intentionally. We're not devoted to the prayers. 
And that's never going to happen. We're never going to change that, that attitude. We're never going to change that prayer request on, on guys' night or girls' night that, that we still aren't praying enough. We're not praying intentionally. We're not praying for our brothers and sisters until we start waking up and doing it. You've got to be intentional. And, and think about this. A very practical step. To, to change your walk, to change the person who needs prayer's walk, and to change the outsider's perspective. Imagine we stop doing this. Hey, I'm going through something really difficult in my life. Pastor Gary, could you pray for me? And he says, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you later, yeah, got it. And then if we're all honest, what happens, and I don't know about you, Pastor Gary, but we go home, we forget about it. It doesn't cross our mind. And, and let me be the first to say, this is me. This is something I do. But what if we stopped, if we're truly devoted to God's Word that says pray for one another, that we would stop and say, yeah, let me pray for you right now. Now let me say this, not to toot my own horn. There have been a few times, see, let me humble myself, a few times in all of my walk where I've done this, I'm like, yeah, you just like laid something out. Let me pray for you. Like, let me pray for you right now. And every time... I've been changed by it and thought, man, that was impactful. Like, I feel like there's something just special about that moment with that brother or sister in Christ. And then the person I prayed for says, no one's ever prayed for me just on the spot. Or it's been so rare that it blew their mind that someone prayed with them. And then, thirdly and lastly for this point, someone notices it. Someone's like, that was really cool that you like prayed for them right then and there. I'm like, not me. Like, I just feel like we're supposed to do that, and I don't do that enough. And it never fails that it, it changes us when we pray for one another. So the devotion wasn't just to God's Word, wasn't just to fellowship, wasn't just to the breaking of bread. It was also to the prayers. And a lot of times we try and separate it. Well, I'm better at just coming and sitting in. I'm not good at, at prayers. We, the church, capital C and lowercase c, should be devoted to these things because it shows our allegiance to God. And as we're devoted, we also become united. Look, it says, And all in wonder, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So they continued to see the mighty works of God through the apostles that we read back in the earlier part of chapter 2. They're seeing the mighty works of God. And it says in verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were united. Now, what this is not saying is that they had all of the same interest. Because maybe you're sitting here next to somebody and you're like, me and him do not get along. We do not like the same stuff. Let me do another hand raise thing. How many of you all like hockey? Anybody? Yeah! We had none in first service. It was ridiculous. Bunch of 9 a.m.ers. It's unbelievable. I love hockey. I absolutely love hockey. Not a lot of people do. And that's okay. Some people despise hockey. Some people would call hockey other names. Some of you may like fishing. Some of you may like working on boats. Some of you may like working on cars. I like riding in boats and riding on cars, but I don't like to work on them. So there's certain interests that we're going to differ on. And that's okay. That's diversity in the body. But we are united by the blood of Jesus and His Spirit that is dwelling in each of us who believe. And that's awesome. That's great because we don't have to try and find some, some other common ground. We can say, hey, brother, I love you. I'll watch you work on a car. I'll go on a ride on it after, 
but I'm probably not going to help you, right? I'll help you maybe once if it's like real serious. I'll be sacrificial. I'll do that kind of thing. But we're united not on our interests, but on Jesus who saves. On Jesus who saved us, not by our works, but by His own doing, according to His own purpose. And all believed, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were united by this. They were devoted, and it was in their devotion that they found that they were united. They were unified together by the Word of God and by the blood of Jesus. That Jesus' blood had brought them together, and His Word was guiding them as a family to do His will. And that He would be glorified in it. Look at Philippians 1, verses 27-28. You don't have to turn there, it'll be up on the screen. Paul writes, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Paul is writing to this church and telling them that they should be united. They should be of one accord. Not by their interest in hockey, not by their interest in in craftsmanship, but in their salvation from God. And that by that, they would be united and not divided. And if we believe this at any point in time, it should be now that the world is trying to tell the church how we should look, act, and breathe in everything that we do trying to dictate from the outside what we should do on the inside when God's Word has told us what to do. That we should be united on this. Look at what he says. Pretty much Paul is saying, whether I'm with you or absent, whether I have to babysit you and stand over your shoulder or be gone, I want to hear that you're united in Christ Jesus. That you are unified together and not being divided. Standing firm, striving side by side. Again, togetherness. This is the church. This is not a solo mission. Striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel. And not be frightened by anything of your opponents. Man, how applicable to us today. That we too should be united. The, the world is trying to cause a great divide here within the church. Shame on them for trying and shame on us for giving in. We should stand up. We should stand up and say, that is not what God's Word says. I don't care what you do on the outside, but don't tell us what we should do here on the inside. Don't tell us how we should live out our faith with Jesus. Quit telling us that relationship is greater than religion because our relationship with Christ drives us to religious behavior and beliefs. And it's a good thing for our good and for His glory. It says all of them. All who believed were together and had all things in common. The Bible continually points us to this togetherness. Being unified with one another, that we would not give way for the devil to, to tempt or cause a divide, that we should stand up and stand on God's word. 
And as we do that, we get direction that we should contribute, which is what they turn to do. Point number three. In God's Word, they see that they should contribute. And coming out of, out of Jesus' ministry, talk about like giving it all away, Jesus did without a lot. They're just sacrificially living. Now what you won't see is another command in the Scriptures, really not even a command here, that you give it all away. Right? Which is good, because i got bills to pay. But what we do see later on as Scripture was closed and completed is that we are supposed to sacrificially give and give often. That's a way of sacrifice. But notice here, it says they, sell, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now there's a few things here to note. First off, they faced persecution like we may never in this lifetime. Literally, Jesus had just been crucified. They thought they were done with this. Jesus, the so-called Messiah. And here come all these uh, apostles and then the disciples. And then verse 41, 3,000 added to this number. It's not stopping. To be a believer, especially in that day, could have cost you everything. And it began to cost them their lives. That's why we see a lot of martyrs in the early church. It went from floggings, beatings for believing, just beating them up, to actually killing them. So they literally, those who had, gave to those who had not. Secondly, Jerusalem was not in a great shape financially. There's a lot of poverty. You go back to, to Nehemiah. Brothers, Jews charging interest on other Jewish family. Not for interest on a car, which would make sense. Hey, you want me to loan you some money? All right, I'm going to give you a little bit of interest rate because I gave you money for a car. No, we're talking about your basic means to just have food on your table. We're talking about charging interest on the sacrifices you were offering up to God. This is not like some luxurious car and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make some money for this, this um, service that I'm offering to you. They were taking advantage of one another and it didn't get much better by this point. Add on top of that, losing everything just for following Jesus. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now this is so sacrificial that it kind of like makes our heads spin. Like, wait a minute. All, there's nothing that I do. Like if I do a garage sale, I want to pocket all my proceeds. I don't want to sell all of my possessions and then just give to Brother Mark just because. Right? I don't want to do that. My flesh and my, my nature doesn't want me to do that. But here, let's look at Hebrews 13.16 that talks about this sacrificial living. Do not neglect to do what, church? Good. And to what, church? Share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So do not neglect to do good and share what you have. Don't neglect to do that. Now that's an action from you. That's an action from me. That's a command from God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now I'm going to enter into what the world calls the political sphere for a second. So bear with me and please don't close your ears. 
This is why socialism is so wrong. Now hold on. It is wrong because it is taking away an act of worship. Now people will tell us that in the name of Jesus we should be giving everything we have away. Jesus gave the disciples, the apostles. Look at Acts uh, 2 Verses 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. But what this political act does is it takes that away because of what it does is takes from you and gives as they see fit. But the command from God is for us to give. So if something is taken from you and given elsewhere, you're no longer worshiping. So let's say someone takes 50% from you, right? You didn't give that away. So if I'm reading God's Word, 50% has been taken from me, and I've got to find a way to be sacrificially giving on top of that. In the name of Jesus, we should turn that down. We should reject it because it's taking away an act of worship. When we, when we give, when we sacrifice, when we love others through giving, it says that's what do what's good. Don't neglect to do what's good and honorable to God. That when we do these things, when we make these sacrifices, it would be for our good and for His glory. Now, you can get into a whole bunch of other issues on any political side, but church, that takes away an act of worship. It takes it away. And that's a command from God. Now, we should be giving. We should give our proceeds. We should give sacrificially. Give to, if it ain't hurting, we ain't giving. I heard a pastor say that one time, and I thought about it. I'm like, man, I, I just need to like, like not give to like, I can't pay my bills, right? But there's this point where we just need to give. And, and let me say this, aside from socialism, just because you give doesn't mean you're giving sacrificially. Just because you're giving doesn't mean you're giving in a God-honoring, God-glorifying way. A sacrifice is something that we see is, um, it, it hurts, right? I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's, it's this thing that, that we're laying down for God and for His glory. And caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ is something that we should do. But we can't do it if it's taken from us. The author of Hebrews makes that so clear. And they're giving these things away. And it says in verse 46, Ben, you can go ahead and come back up here. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Look at this. This is why we make a case for Sunday morning worship. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So day by day. We're not talking Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. I would make a case that we need to be intentional and, and gathering outside of the Sunday morning gathering. But it doesn't have to be exactly what the church has done for years. But it needs to be intentional and it needs to be often. Day by day, they went to the temple together. It's our Sunday morning gathering. Breaking bread in their homes. That's our group Bible studies. right? When we meet together and we go through God's Word together, we talk about God's Word, we ask difficult questions together, seek biblical answers together to put Jesus into perspective together. They were taking communion in their homes. So it's not just every time they went to have a meal, they would pretty much take communion. It was something that was so uh, readily done by them. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And notice what it says, church. Having favor with all the people. 
They had favor with one another. They had favor with the community. The, the saying is, is true, and we hear it often, especially now, the church has lost its influence because we've let the world influence us. Look, we will be persecuted for our faith. But when we live like this, we will have favor. I have people who despise some of my views. Try and hold them as the orthodox view up as best as I can, being united to God's Word and to one another. I've got people, I can't believe you believe that. But they respect me, and they come to me when they need prayer. You all know those moments when the person who's been the roughest on you in your walk with Christ, something happens in their life, they turn, hey, I know I've given you a hard time, but like, I, need, I need prayer. Like Whatever you believe in, like if you just pray, do whatever you do, like that would be great. They had favor among the people. And then what happened? They didn't add to their number. See, so, so often we become so obsessed with trying to save other people when we're called to be the messengers of the message and to do what God's Word tells us to do, but it never tells us to save people. As we are faithful to deliver God's message, God is faithful to save. And it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's good news, especially for a broken man like myself. I'm thankful that God uses me. Knowing, knowing the baggage that I carry, knowing the sin and my faults, knowing Pastor Gary's sin and his faults, knowing Pastor Simon's sin and his faults, knowing some of your all's testimony, God is the only one that can receive glory around here. And that's good. That is very good. Because in our wretchedness, people see God's gloriousness. They see His glory and they know it is only Him. But we are to be faithful. We are to be devoted. We are to be united by the blood of Jesus according to His Word and according to His purpose. And we should be contributing. As a church, we, we, we call that providing to the needs of others. We have this little um, acronym, HOPE. We honor God in all that we do, observe the things He's commanded, provide to the needs of others, and extend the offer that's been extended to us. We are to contribute. Sacrificially give, not just of our time, not just of our money, not just of our resources, but everything. All that we have. It's so often the talk at churches about giving money, but it says they sold their possessions. They made money to give money. Intentionally. They also gave their time day by day. A lot of people know our devotion to be the, to youth league sports. A lot of people know our devotion to be to, to our family. But if people are going to look at the church as we're going, as we're the church on the move, as we're gathering in to go back out, as we're out, we should pray that they see our devotion to God and to one another. Not just to God and not just to one another, but because of our relationship with God, we have a relationship eternally with one another. That's good news. Church, as I close in prayer, I want us to think about these things. I want us to be not simply convicted, but also encouraged, knowing, church, that your pastors are convicted by this message too. We need to be intentional. We need to be gathering, not just on Sunday mornings, but we need to be gathering in formal and informal settings. And sometimes in, in serving people that way, it requires a little bit less Starbucks, right? So that we can, we can give to the needs of others, right? As we, as we gather and we disciple intentionally, we're going to really see the needs of our church family. 
as we go out and witness to our community, we're really going to see the needs for our community and know, hey, it would be worth it to have Starbucks um, one less day a week. It would be worth it to not go to the lounge uh, one less day a week. It would be worth it to not do these things so that we could give sacrificially and honor God in all that we do and point people to Jesus. But church, let us not be mistaken. Our relationship with God absolutely involves our relationship with the lowercase c church. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for this morning and thank You for this time that we've had together. I thank You for Your, your Word. I thank You for this picture of the early church. I pray that as we, we leave here today that this Word would remain on our hearts, God, that Your Spirit would show us areas where we need to improve. That we would be comforted and encouraged in the way. God, that, that we would hold one another accountable to this way of living that can only be found in You. God, I pray that we would seek the opportunity to be sacrificial in the way that we live and breathe, the way that we talk, the way that we build one another up, edifying one another, encouraging one another to good works. And those works being glorifying to You, done in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be intentional to meet with one another. God, whether it be over coffee, whether it be having some pizza, whether it be just doing nothing, drinking water, and literally opening up the Bible. God, we need to do it. We need to do it more. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for sending Your Spirit that we don't have to figure all these things out on our own. We don't have to become some amazing scholars. But Lord, we should delight in Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would be with us as we go out this week. And again, just show us areas, places and doors that You've opened for us to go and to carry out Your Word. And Lord, we trust You. We know that You are faithful to save Your people. So we pray that as we're faithful, God, we would just see the fruit. May You be glorified in every step that we take. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.